Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Duck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008. It's Wednesday, April 12, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you this week by the Irish Rover Station House. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And, hey, Chet, the NFL draft is in two weeks, April 27th through 29th, which covers three Philly Press Box radio shows. And we're covering the draft in each of those shows, starting tonight with our good friend, Ray Dittinger. Yeah, we are indeed, Bill, because, hey, Philly is a football town, and this is a pretty important draft, to say the least. So we wanted to get our listeners all ready for it, especially with it being held in Philadelphia this year. And what better way to start it off than with the godfather of football and one of our favorite guests, who we expect to be joining us very shortly. Well, and Chet, what we're going to do, uh, besides talk about Eagles with Ray in the draft, we're going to talk some Phillies. And you and I have teetered around this idea here for a couple weeks and uh, about retiring numbers and things like that. Tonight, we're going to get into the details of Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Cole Hamels. And we're going to pick the guys that we are going to retire numbers from the greatest era in Phillies baseball or not. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting discussion because it can go either way. So uh, I'll have some things to say, certainly. And uh, you know, maybe we will even hit Ray up on the, that topic if we have time. We shall see. You ready for the draft yeah, yourself, my friend? Well, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. I, I want to get right, – well, actually, the next three weeks of guys, I want to get their take on it because it's really, uh, it's really interesting how this could play out. And, and some of the, uh, the articles I've read are like, you can't miss. It really doesn't matter which position you go to. There's so much talent in this – uh, drafted number 14 that you can't miss. So uh, yeah. be interesting to see who the guys that say the Eagles are going to take. And what I'm going to guess, Chad, I'll throw this out there. I think of our three guests, all three are going to say somebody different this year. I wouldn't be surprised because I don't know if you read the uh, little piece that I wrote, uh, I guess, Monday. Uh, I looked at, I don't know why, but I looked at 27 different mock drafts and there were like 11 or 12 different names going to the Eagles at 14. So it could be just about anybody, but they do have so many areas of need. You know, pretty much any of them you would hope would be a good selection for them. Yep. Well, one of the things, too, I'm going to find interesting, and I want to ask Ray about this when we get him uh, with us, is the Cleveland Browns have 11 picks in this draft, uh, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, they've done a lot of bad things, and they've made a lot of crazy trades. But here they are sitting with 11 picks. They get two firsts and two seconds. 
and kind of pick Ray's brain about can you actually change the franchise around in a draft this strong with these four guys? Well, Cleveland certainly needs some work, so uh, you know they got to get it right because they've been in, in a bad way for a lot of years, missing on several quarterbacks, and uh, you know here they are again with the top pick. So let's see if they can get it right for a change. Yeah. Hey, Chad. Another thing uh, that I wanted to mention to you, I wanted to talk Sixers with you is as they close out their season, they're not going to get their thirty wins. They're like a mash unit with more inactives than actives yet. You and our buddy Fred Hugo went down to the final game at the Wells Fargo Center. And I want to ask you, with that said, why does it seem the Sixers have been able to sell the process while the Flyers and Philly fans seem very impatient with not having success sooner and want these kids brought up and playing? Well, because in all honesty, Bill, and you may not believe this or want to hear it, the Sixers, thanks in part to the process, are probably in the best shape right now to truly compete for a title by the year 2019 or 2020. And yes, I'm relatively sober as I say that. Now, if Joel Embiid stays healthy, that's the key, of course, and the other major pieces are what we believe them to be, Ben Simmons and Dario Saric and the improving Robert Covington, and they take advantage of the high draft picks that they'll have again this spring and next. The future is very bright. In fact, the brightest of all the four big teams in Philly for the 76ers compared with the other three teams. So there is your answer. That's why so many Sixers fans are buying in because they saw a lot of good things this year. They saw, you know, that Embiid, if healthy, is the real deal. And I think we also learned that Brett Brown can coach. So, you know, if he gets some more talent I think they're going to be a playoff team right away next year. Oh, you're scaring me. You're scaring me. <laughs> Mark it down. I'm Playoffs not, next year. Uh, well, you know, I'm just not uh, – you know I, I haven't been all on the process right yet. Um, not because of players' efforts. I'm still going to stick with the mismanagement. Uh, they're going to get another great draft pick here, you know, coming up the top uh, wherever they're going to end up, seven. Um but boy, they—it's—it's it's time. It's—it's it's well past time. It's—it's it's time to make the move. Yeah, and by the way, Dario Saric not playing tonight after playing 81 straight games. He is sitting out because he does have some, you know, soreness. So uh, it, it makes sense. You know, give the guy a break. The game is a meaningless game against the Knicks at uh, Knicks at Madison Square Garden. So uh, great rookie year for Dario Saric. Probably the rookie of the year. We hope that's the case. Anyway, uh, we'll learn that in the next month or so. But, uh, boy, what a year he had, better than expected. So he, he's a big part of the reason why I think the future is bright for this team. And, of course, Embiid and Simmons. Well, and, and, I'm, and I agree. I think he's had a great year, but I'm not buying into shutting down. Let him play the last game, for God's sake. That's what he's on the team for. The, now yeah. you're taking your best player who is now your whatever, fifth best player, because you had all these other best players, you get to play any of them either. Yeah, well, as you said, it's kind of the walking wounded right now, and uh, there's probably a lot of hinkyites out there who are kind of glad he's not playing because that gives them an even better chance of losing tonight, which theoretically could improve their ping-pong ball chances even more than they already uh, you know, have right at the moment. So a loss wouldn't be the worst thing in the season finale. Well, I think if they played tonight, the, the bookmakers would probably make them about an even bet against Chester High School. <laughs> you know what? You may be right. And you know what else? We have the godfather of football on the line with us right now. We're going to talk some football with Ray Didinger. How you doing, Ray? 
Oh, Chad, what's going on? Hello, Ray. Oh, not a whole lot. We, we're getting ready for the draft, uh, Bill and I. So, uh, Bill, officially okay. welcome Ray to the program so we can get rolling here. Sure. Well, Ray, Ray, glad to have you back as always. I think you are our all-time leader now. Is that not right, Chad? This is number seven for Ray Dinger, which ties him with Mark Eckel for the all-time most visits to Philly Press Box Radio. So uh, how about that, Mr. Dinger? Well, there you go. I'm in ver- I've con- I'm consider myself in very good company. There you Absolutely. go. We're glad to have Absolutely. you back, Ray. Glad to be here. Lots to talk about, that's for sure. You bet. Well, let's get to you it, Ray. We are closing away. in on the 2017 draft. You've been covering the draft for, well, I mentioned The Godfather of Football since I guess the original Godfather movie came out several decades now. Now, even though you, Ray, are not a social media guy, is it different these days in terms of all the rumors, speculation, countless mock drafts, et cetera, in the weeks leading up to the draft? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally different. I mean, when I – it's funny you should say what you said about uh, my time going back to almost to The Godfather. Uh, The year that I started covering football – uh, pro football for the Philadelphia Bulletin was uh, the year that the book The Godfather was published. <laughs> so, so I mean, you you were more right than you realized. Uh, but I it was knew it was about that time. Yep. It was 1970, and uh, it was uh, a whole different thing. I mean, obviously that was before ESPN. That was before Comcast Sportsnet. That was really before Sports Talk Radio. I mean, it was a uh, it was a world that was dominated by newspapers. Uh, you know, with uh, you know, with AM deadlines. And uh, so that was the world that I was operating in. And, gee, I mean, the NFL draft then was uh, we we would go to the Eagles' offices and we would just sit in this room and, uh, I mean, there was no TV coverage. You know, we'd just sit there at this and wait for Jim Gallagher, the PR guy, to come in uh, after the Eagles made a pick and he would hand out a press release and say, okay, here's uh, in the fifth round we just selected this guy. And he'd hand us a press release and that was it. Uh, I mean, there was uh, that was there was no Mel Kiper, there was no Mike Mayock, there was none of that stuff. I mean, it was and when the, and when the stories ran, they ran you know three four pages deep in the sports section and you know, all that little tiny type there. People you needed a magnifying glass to read it. That was the NFL draft then, and now look where it is today. We're going to have the draft is going to be here in Philadelphia. You're going to have two hundred thousand people on the Ben Franklin Parkway. Yeah. You know, Ray, I wrote a piece Monday about the dozens of mock drafts that are out there. The two names that I saw most often going to the Eagles at pick number 14 are cornerback Gary and Conley of Ohio State. He's the guy you settled on in your mock draft. And running back Christian McCaffrey of Stanford. I know you also like defensive end Derek Barnett of Tennessee, but you, like some others, expect him to be gone. So what do you like about Gary and Conley? Pretty much everything, Chet. You know, he's got – He's at the ideal size. I mean, he's six feet tall. He's 190 pounds, solidly built. Uh, played in a really good program at Ohio State. Played well in big games, which I which I put a premium on. Um, to me, he looks like the kind of guy that can play um, in just about any system. I mean, I've seen him. He's played mostly press man uh, and looked very comfortable doing it. Uh, but he can also play zone. Um, you know, he tracks the ball really well. He's got good ball skills. He's uh, aggressive in a smart way. He doesn't take unnecessary chances, but, you know, he'll break and drive on the ball when he thinks he's got a chance. The only thing, I mean, and he, he the reason his stock is rising so much, I mean, he was really kind of overshadowed by Marshawn Lattimore, his own teammate at Ohio State, earlier. But when he went to the Combine uh, and worked out at the Combine, he had a great week in Indianapolis. I mean, he ran he ran faster than people thought. I mean, if people thought he was a 4-5 guy and he went there and he ran 4-4-4, four, 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 
uh, and all of a sudden you saw his stock start going from late from late first round up into the middle of the first round. Um, and the only thing you could say about him when you watch him when you watch him on tape, and the only thing you could say in a critical way is he you know he 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 needs to become a better tackler. He's He's not shy of contact. I mean, he's not like Asante Samuel who runs the other way if somebody comes near him. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, he'll come up and force the run, but he just he doesn't use very good technique, and he, and he misses more tackles than he should. But, I mean, those are things you can kind of work on and improve on. Uh, but the basic coverage skills, I mean, the things that you really draft a cornerback to do, he can do all of that. Well, Ray, speaking of the combine, and, and I know you watch tons of tape and you watch – you know, the guys play well in big games, but, but these guys that jump up in the combine, how comfortable with you are that are you with that, that they actually are almost like they're test players rather than game players. Do you think? Oh, oh, sure. I mean, I've thought, I've thought that for a long time. Um, I, and I do think that uh, a lot of teams and a lot of organizations make mistakes that way. I mean, they'll go to Indianapolis and some guy will rip off a really fast 40, and all of a sudden, you know, they they were thinking of him as a third round pick. Now they now they're drafting him in the top ten, you know. And I mean, Al Davis did this all the time. I mean, if somebody ran, you can you can almost bet that whoever ran the fastest forty at Indianapolis was going to be a first round pick of the Raiders. I mean, that's regardless of what anybody thought of him beforehand. If he if he ran a four three forty, all of a sudden he was wearing silver and black. Um, and you know, and that's and and well, that's just not not just them. I mean, it's a lot of people. And I. I've always thought that the combine is a very useful tool. I mean, it's it's a good opportunity to go and, and evaluate these guys and and sit down and interview them. And you know, there's, I mean, there's certainly an element of competition there. I mean, there's pressure on these guys. See how they perform and how they respond to it. And I recognize all that. But in the end, what you're really looking for are football players. And you find out, and you're really drafting them to play football. And I think. You only answer those questions by watching them play. And you go back and you, you scout them when they were in college. You look at as much tape as you can. And you just evaluate how well does this guy play? How well does he play in big games? How well does he play in the fourth quarter? You know, how well does he play when his team is behind? I mean, is he a front runner? Or is he a guy that will really battle you? I mean, all those kinds of things. You can only find those out in real-life competition. I think that the, the combine stuff and the Wonderlick test and all those other things, I think they're very good about filling in the edges of the picture. You know, if you have, you know, three or four guys that you think are very close in your mind at a certain position, and you're trying to, okay, you know, how do we decide this guy over that guy? Once we've decided they're all about equal as football players, you know, then I think that the combine stuff can factor in there. And, you know, we interviewed this guy, yeah, I like this guy better. Or, you know, we looked at this guy and, okay, yeah, I think in the, you know, the, you know, the 10-yard shuttle, which is important for a running back, yeah, he definitely looked better. So, I mean, it can help separate, make that separation at that level. But I do think that some, some scouts, some personnel people still, I think, put too much weight on what's done in Indianapolis. I, I still think that the real answers and the real good drafting is done on the tape and, on, and actually watching guys play the game. Yeah, one of one of the interest as a follow up, one of the interesting things I saw was uh Brad Kaya, the quarterback out of Miami, who who looked like he was questionable to even come out early. And then as soon as he came out he was in some quarterback competition and won some accuracy thing and he went from from a possible second uh third day guy to uh, a high third round pick in in yeah. some people's yeah. minds and that that just seemed crazy to me. 
Yeah, I mean, that, but but it happens all the time. I mean, another one of the guys at the quarterback position, and I don't think this is a particularly good quarterback draft, but uh, at the quarterback position this year, uh, the one guy that has has had a really meteoric rise in in the off season uh, is Patrick Mahomes from Texas Tech. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there weren't that many people talking about Patrick Mahomes really at the end during the season or at the end of the season, but um, yeah, I mean, he went to the combine and performed well. Uh, apparently he performed really well in his pro day, uh, and his individual workouts. And I, and I guess he's the kind of kid that when you get him in the room and you put him up at the blackboard and the coaches start firing questions at him, I, I guess he's a real gym rat kind of kid that's really sharp and really on top of things. So his, his stock has risen to a point where, I mean, there are people now talking about him maybe being a first round draft pick. Um, it's surprising to me that people are talking about the possibility of maybe four quarterbacks going in the first round of this draft and I'm not sure that any of them are really first round quarterbacks. I mean I have I have a first round grade on Deshaun Watson, the kid from Clemson, uh, but I still wouldn't I wouldn't take him until the second half of the first round. And as far as the other guys go, I don't have any of them with first round grades. And but yeah, you know, when it's all said and done, I'd be willing to bet you there'll certainly be three taken in the first round and possibly as many as four. Hmm. Interesting. Ray, if the Eagles don't go cornerback in uh, the first round at number 14, they could take a running back. And one name that's been mentioned a lot is Christian McCaffrey of Stanford. He's been compared to both Brian Westbrook and Darren Sproles. Do you agree with those comparisons? Uh, no. No, I don't. I, I, I don't see him as uh, – I, I really don't see him as – I certainly don't see him as Westbrook. Um, I, I, I like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I, I do. I think, he's, I think he's a real talented player. And he – he boy, if you're if you're a combine guy, man, he killed it at the combine. I mean, he went out there and and he did everything. Uh, I ran a four four eight, uh, caught the ball great, you know, interviewed great. I mean, he he was great at the combine, which is one of the reasons why his stock is. It's not exactly like he was an unknown. Everybody knew what he was, but he went out there and uh, really, as the scouts like to say, checked all the boxes. But you know, I look at him and. Uh, again, I, I think he's a real good player. I just don't know if he's – I don't see him being anywhere near um, the kind of – the guy that can carry the kind of workload that Westbrook did. Um, I mean, it's a funny thing. When you when Westbrook first got drafted out of Villanova, one of the things that Andy Reid said and the Eagles felt was we don't want to overuse this guy. We don't want to ask him to do too much. They they you know They limited how many touches he had. They didn't want him running back kicks necessarily. They didn't want him running the ball between the tackles and – but then as time went by, after a few years, I mean, he was just so good that they kept expanding his role and expanding his role. And by the time he finished, he had more touches than any player in franchise history. And he, 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 wound up with more, he wound up with more combined touches than anybody in the, in the history of the team. Now, nobody foresaw that when he came in. But the fact is, even for a relatively small guy, he was able to do that. I don't think Christian McCaffrey's going to be that kind of guy. I don't think he's big enough or strong enough to run between the tackles, not like Westbrook did. Um, so I, I, I think his utilization as a as a quote-unquote running back is kind of limited. I mean, I think that if he comes into the NFL, I, I think the, the, the best thing he could do, the role that I think he's best suited for, is kind of as a slot receiver. I mean, kind of a – you know, um, you know, a a better version, a better Wes, Wes Welker, you know, a, a Julian Edelman kind of guy. I mean, I think that's kind of what he is. I mean, I don't see him being Westbrook for sure. I don't even really see him being Sproles. You know, I, I just don't know that he can be that. I think he's, to me, he looks like a 12 to 15 touch a game guy. 
I mean, the kind of guy that, yeah, I mean, you want to get him the ball, you want to get, you know, throw him some passes, and he'll make some plays. But I don't think you're, he's a guy that you're going to want to give the ball to 20, 25 times in a game. And and if he's not that guy, then I don't know that he's the 15, 14th pick in the draft. You know, I, I I think he'll look. He'll certainly be picked in the first round. I mean, he's definitely going to go in the first round. But the the latter half of the first round, I think, um, you know. A guy like that who I think you're going to have to be real careful about how much you use him and how you use him, to me that's not 14th pick in the draft. I, I just I just don't see it, although I know he's an exciting player and a lot of people really like him. In fact, Governor Rendell just called called into the, the, uh, the, the morning show at WIP yesterday uh, and began beating the drum for Christian McCaffrey. He's, I guess he's, he's the governor's new Ricky Williams. The governor's heading up the Christian McCaffrey to Philadelphia bandwagon. Um, but, uh, and I know he's not alone. There are a lot of people that, that feel that way, and I've seen a few mock drafts that have the Eagles taking him. Uh, if he's still there at 14 and the Eagles are picking at 14, I mean, he's a guy you have to consider. But I just – I don't think I could do that. I, I just think, again, I see him in this sort of limited roles, very specific role, and with as many defensive needs as they have, I just don't think I can pick that kind of a player over somebody that I know can step in and play every snap on defense. Well, speaking of running backs, I, I didn't hear your take on the radio on this one. What is uh, your take on the controversial Joe Mixon? How good is he, and when will he likely be picked, given the likely PR nightmare for whoever does take him? Oh, he's very good. I mean, if you just uh, if if I just brought you in and put the tape on and just said, okay, what do you think of this guy? Um, you would say he's first round talent, and and he is. I mean, he he is that good. Um, but the other part of it is the other part of it, and and everybody knows his story. And I think by this time, everybody has has seen what he did. Um, and it's going to be a very tough decision uh, for the team that takes him now. Uh, I've, I've had some people tell me they still think he's going to be a first-round pick. I, I don't see that at all. I mean, I think he'll go on day two. Um, he may go second round. He, he'll certainly go in, in the third round. I mean, by the time by the time the second day plays out, Joe Mixon will have a team. I mean, he'll get picked somewhere in there. Um, but I, I do know there are some teams that have flat taken him off their board. I mean, I, I know there are some teams that aren't even going to consider him. He's not even in the conversation. Um, but there are more teams do have him up there. I just don't think I'm, – I'm still of the opinion that I, I think he's more likely going to be a third-round pick. But, you know, he'll go on day two. And, here, and here's the thing. He is good enough that he's going to play for whoever drafts him. I mean, he'll play, and he'll play this year, and he'll play well. I mean, he really will, but you have to. You're going to have to weather a real, a real firestorm uh, when, when you know, when you bring him in for his first press conference. I mean, it ain't going to be like any other press conference. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of people there asking all kinds of questions, and you better have you better have oh, the right yeah. answers. Now, it's all, now ultimately, it's going to come. It's going to have to come down to how he plays. I mean, last year the Kansas City Chiefs uh, took a lot of flack for drafting Tariq Hill. Uh, who had who had a similar uh, who had a similar history? Now there wasn't any video on what he did, but everybody knew what he did. And so when the Chiefs drafted him, now he was much later with the draft. But when they drafted him, there was a lot of criticism and a lot of fallout that Andy Reid had to deal with at the time. But then Tariq Hill comes out and plays lights out football this year, and by midseason he was probably the most popular guy on the team. 
So, I mean, you can turn this around if you if you're that good of a player. Um, but uh, I, you know, Joe Mixon, will, Joe Mixon's going to play and he's going to play well. But uh, who, whoever drafts him, I mean, they better be prepared to answer some tough questions because they're certainly going to be asked. Well, Ray, you you made the comment a little earlier. You said if the Eagles pick at fourteen, do you uh, do you see that possibly trading back and maybe trying to get that second rounder back that we don't have? And uh, you know, the, I guess some of the word out there is that there's enough talent in this draft that you can't get it wrong. What, what do you think? Oh, you can always get it wrong. <laughs> you can always get it wrong. Uh, but I mean, we've seen, yeah, we've seen Howie Roseman uh, operate before, and and he does like to trade around. He does like to move up, and he does like to move down. Um, and they do, you know, and they've, in the past, they've they like this idea of moving down and getting extra picks. I mean, they they really like that. I mean, there's some organizations that they'll just stay put. They, I mean, they'll they're going to take their spot and they're going to take their player, and that's that. And then there are other teams that like to really like to wheel and deal, and the Eagles are one of those teams. So does that possibility exist? Yeah, it does. And and in part, I guess, Bill, for the you know the reasons that you kind of said is that everybody believes, and and there's truth to it, that there's an awful lot of really good players in this draft in a lot of areas, Um, especially the areas where the Eagles need guys, which is the defensive backfield. There are a lot of really good players. So you can look at the board and say, well, you know, we can drop down eight picks and get a couple of later picks here and still get a really good player. That may be true, but, you know, the Eagles have, have have gotten themselves caught in this trap before. I mean, they're the year of the Marcus Smith year. I mean, they traded down twice, and they, they saw enough guys on the board. They said, "Well, you know, all of these guys aren't going to get taken. You know, we'll, you know, we'll we'll trade down a couple times here, and we'll still get one of these guys." Well, as it turned out, you know, D. Ford, Ha Ha, Clinton Dix, all those guys, they did get taken, and the Eagles were stuck, and and they kind of scrambled, and in a bit of a panic, they they drafted Marcus Smith, who was nowhere near a first round draft choice. But you can kind of get caught that way. So, I mean, if if I were the Eagles, I. I'd listen to all possibilities. You know, I would work the phones. I'd do my due diligence, as they say. But I, I think that, you know, this is a draft where I don't think you want to outsmart yourself. I think you got you got really good players there. If you're sitting there at 14, there's no way there's not going to be a really good corner right there for you. Uh, and if they're in a situation where they're they're sitting there at 14, and let's say Conley is there, then I think you just take them and you say thanks very much and you just plug them in. Just put him in, put him in the depth chart, and he's your guy. And you know, right away, you've helped yourself. The one trade, and I, yeah, I mean, you were talking about trading back, uh, always a possibility. The one thing that you got to consider is the possibility of maybe a trade up. Is let's say Derek Barnett, who's the defensive end from Tennessee, who, I mean, in my view, in a perfect world, if I could set the scenario for the Eagles, I mean, he's the guy that I would I would get if I could, because I think he's that good. I mean, I think he's. Um, I think he's a really elite pass rusher and a guy that could come in and really, really help this defense uh, in terms of its pass rush. I mean, last year the defensive line only had 21 sacks, the whole defensive line. So they have to get better in that area, and this guy could do that for you. The only thing is I, I, I just don't think he's going to make it to 14. He could make it to 11. You know, he could make it to 10 or 11, and if he drops that far – now all of a sudden you're not talking you're not talking about a huge leap in the, in the first round you're talking about maybe moving from 14 to 11 you know that may be something you could explore in in terms of going up and getting him but you know I, all that kind of maneuvering there's always a bit of chance and risk that goes with it 
you know, I, I think you could sit, sit sit at 14 and still come away with a really good player because there are that many to choose from. Ray, I forgot to print out your mock draft from uh, Monday, but tell me two or three other guys you would like to see the Eagles take in the you know second or third or fourth round. Well, um, if 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 things go if if things go, you know, as, as I kind of think they're going to go, and let's say Barnett is gone, um, then I'm then I'm still I'm going to say Conley. I'm going to take Conley with the first pick, Garon Conley, the cornerback from Ohio State, who I think is a really good player, and I think he's a day one player. Uh, you get, I don't think you're going to have to coach him up too much. I don't think you're going to have to give him experience. I think you can put him on the field and he'll compete right away. Um, in the second round, okay, now that I've got the cornerback in the first round, the second round, I'm, I am going to go looking for my pass rusher. Uh, and I, I'll take Jordan Willis, who's a defensive end from Kansas State, um, who's uh, another guy whose stock has really been rising. He had a really good good week at the Combine. He had a really good pro day. Um, he was you like those sleeper. Kansas State guys, Ray? Yeah, I, I do have a history you, with K-State. Like I mean, I, I, I really do. I, I have a little history with K-State. I mean, I, uh, I was on the Darren Sproles bandwagon uh, back in 05. Uh, I was really big on Jordy Nelson the year that he came out. Um, I've, I've, I've had some pretty good success with Kansas State players. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I mean, he was a little bit off the radar for a while. Um, but in the, in the off season, in the All-Star games, and in the workouts, he's really – He's really uh, impressed some people. So I'm hoping he's still there in the second round. I think he will be. But that's where I would go in round two. I'd take Jordan Willis uh, as a defensive end to provide that pass rush. Then the third round, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a, a couple of different guys there. Uh, I, I'm I probably uh, – I'm leaning a little bit towards Jordan Lewis, uh, the defensive back from Michigan. Uh, I know some people would say, well, he's probably not going to make it to the third round. I don't know. I, I think he might. Uh, everybody in the draft, all the personnel people, they're all looking for defensive backs. The big thing with DBs now is height. They all want they all want guys that are tall. They all want guys that are six feet, six one, six two. Uh, and Jordan Lewis isn't. I mean, he's five ten. I mean, he's he's short. Uh, and when he went to the combine, he ran slower than people thought. Unlike Conley, who ran faster than people thought. Lewis went there and ran four, five, six, uh, which a lot of people all of a sudden got down on him for that. So I think his stock has kind of declined. And uh, and I look, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with this guy because I saw him play a lot at Michigan, and I think he's a really good player. Uh, he's smart. He's tough. He's competitive. He doesn't play like a small guy. I mean, five ten seems small, but you don't see it when he's playing. I mean, he matches up with bigger guys and doesn't seem to have a problem with it. He's always in good position. He has great ball reaction. He's never out of position, never blows an assignment. He's just a real heady, well-coached football player who I think is probably going to drop a little bit because of the 40 time and because of his height. So if he's there in the third round, that's where I would go for the Eagles. If they have a shot at him in the third round, and I think they might, I would take him. So those would be my top three. It would be Conley uh, and then Willis and then Lewis, and there you got two cornerbacks, two cover guys, and a pass rusher. And I think if you can score that in the first three rounds, you've gone a long way to improving your defense. Nice. Very good. Well, Ray, I have one final question for you, and uh, this is a this is a loaded one, I guess, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And you and I had a uh, last time you were on with us, we had a little sidebar afterwards, little emails going back and forth about. Jerry Kramer and how he's not in the Hall of Fame. But since then, we've got T.O. and Brian Dawkins who are not in the Hall of Fame. 
Um, right. How do you get to that top group and not make it and maybe never make it? How does that work? Well, I think um, every case is a little bit different. Uh, the the one with Jerry Kramer, I, I, I still don't really get. I, I have no idea what, what the issue is there. I mean, there's a guy that should have been in years ago. I mean, years ago. Uh, uh, I mean, and why he – and then, you know, then he came up twice as the senior nominee uh, where his the modern era phase had passed. Then he had been chosen by the senior committee to be the senior nominee placed on the ballot, which is it's almost like winning an election in itself to be put on the ballot. And they voted him down again. So, I mean, I, I have no idea what the problem is. Um, I mean, I, I feel badly about it because if you, if you ask me right now who, who's the most deserving guy who's, who's still not in the Hall of Fame, I would still say Jerry. But I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of res- sadly resigned to the fact that he's probably never going to get in, which is really a shame. But uh, to, to the point that you made about To and Doc, um, I, I, this, the, I was, I was surprised with To this year. I was not surprised with Doc. Uh, I really thought last year when To came up, I didn't think he was going to get in the first year. There was just an awful lot of baggage and an awful lot of bad feeling uh, in the room. You know, the quote unquote, he's a bad teammate thing. Um, the fact that he bounced around with the five different teams didn't help. Uh, but, I mean, I, I felt if you just look at the way – if you saw the guy play and you look at his numbers, I mean, there's no way he's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, he, he should have gone in the first time. But, okay, I thought, okay, they're, they're proving a point here. They're not going to make him a first ballot guy. But surely he'll go in in his second year. Uh, and he didn't. Now, I still think that – I mean, just – the the weight of his numbers are such that I don't think they can continue to deny him. I mean, I still think he's going to go in. You know, it may take, it may be a four, he may have to wait four years total, you know, sort of like an Andre Reed, uh, Tim Brown, Chris Carter kind of thing, where it takes him longer than it should, but they'll finally get in. Uh, But I still think he'll get in. Uh, Doc, I I feel the same way. I think, I think Doc will go in and maybe he will go, maybe he'll go in this year. Um, it's just, I don't know why it is, but it seems like safeties have trouble, uh, getting in. Um, I, I think I did a count last year. I think there's only eight safeties in the hall of fame, which is kind of amazing when you think about that. Um, uh, they just don't, the, the position doesn't seem to command that kind of respect. I mean, the voters, they'll, they'll put corners in and, you know, they'll put pass rushers in. Um, but for some reason they just seem to think that the safety isn't, isn't as impactful a position. But the thing is, in today's NFL, it is. I mean, there may have been a time where safeties were kind of devalued, but they're not now. I mean, and you look around the NFL now, you know, I mean, safeties are big-time players, and teams are, teams are building defenses around their safeties. I mean, look at Earl Thomas or, you know, look at Ed Reed in his time or Troy Palomalo. I mean, these guys, I mean, they were guys that the defense was built around their particular skills. And Brian Dawkins was really the first of the breed. I mean, I, I think that Dawk really went a long way towards changing the perception that coaches and talent evaluators had about what safeties could be. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but I thought that just that whole safety thing was going to work against Doc, uh, at least for one year. But I, I do think that, uh, I, I do think that there, there was enough support from what I understand, there was enough support in that room that, uh, Doc might've missed this year, but I think that, uh, next year, It'll it'll probably happen. I hope it does soon because 
you know, John Lynch is still on the ballot. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of support for John Lynch. And pretty soon, you know, Ed Reed's going to be coming up, and then Palomalo will be coming up, and then all of a sudden, yep. it's going to get real crowded. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the, I'm hoping the doc I'm I'm hoping it happens for him next year because you know anybody that saw him play knows that he absolutely belongs in Canton, Ohio. Hey Ray, we're going to let you run, but uh, with all the football talk, we didn't have time for a fast five segment with you this week. But if we did, my final question was going to be this one. Your pal Glenn Mack now is well into a food tasting event where he's eating uh, meatballs pretty much every day at various places for like six weeks. So my question to you is, if you had to eat one food for six weeks straight, what would it be? Uh, it would be uh, uh, it, it would be um, fettuccine. <laughs> okay. It would be it would it would be it would be a, it would be a form of pasta bolognese. I I I just love okay. I love that kind of stuff. I'm a pizza guy, so it'll probably be pizza for me. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, that that that's fine too. <laughs> Thanks, All Ray. right, Ray. Well, hey, we appreciate it. Great information as always, and uh, looking forward to hearing your analysis throughout the draft. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to visit with you guys. All right, and right, we, take care, we don't see you before. We will see you at the Dick Vermeil Golf Alley. I I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds great. We are too. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. All right, see you, Chet. See you, Bill. Bye, bye. Thanks. Bye, bye. Go ahead, Chet. Let's All talk Overhouse. Yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of food, do you want a great place to grab some food or have a couple of beers with your pals? I have just the place, the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Bucks County. The Irish Rover has a terrific atmosphere, daily food and drink specials, a spacious dining area, extensive beer list, and menu items from burgers and wings to filet mignon. DJ Dave is there this Saturday night, and so you know, the Rover will be closed on Easter Sunday, reopening Monday the 17th for the monthly St. Paddy's Day Fund. You heard right, the 17th of every month. They are now taking Mother's Day reservations, too. It's the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. All right, Chad. Hey, as we said, we're going to talk Phillies. We're going to talk retiring jerseys, and let's get right to it so we can uh, have some time to talk about this thing and stay on track. As we mentioned, we're going to talk four players in numerical order, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Cole Hamill. So let's get this going with the big piece. Rookie of the year, MVP, 382 home runs, 1,194 RBIs, 258 career batting average, three-time all-star, two-time home run champ, including a 58 in a season, and a three-time RBI champ. Mr. Chesko, how's your vote? Well, great slugger that Ryan Howard, often underappreciated for whatever reason, six or seven amazing seasons from his rookie year in 05 through 2011, when he was the guy that opposing teams feared the most on that Phil's lineup. I'm telling you, if he didn't have that injury in his final at-bat of the 2011 playoffs, we'd be talking Hall of Fame for Ryan Howard. Now, is he a Hall of Famer? No. Does he get on the Phillies' wall of fame? Absolutely. Does he get his number retired by the Phils down the road? That's the tough one, Bill. What's your vote on that before you uh, get mine? So, well, I am going to say, without the big piece, there is no World Series. Without, he did more in that five-year period power-hitting-wise than anyone in Phillies history, including Michael Jack Schmidt. 
I am retiring the big number six for the big piece. Wow. Interesting. Okay, let me tell you what I did before. I'm, this is this is going to be a blanket answer for all of these guys, um, because I knew you were going to ask me about this. I checked with a couple of guys who have some pretty good input, insight into all this. Chris Wheeler and John Brazier, both of whom, of course, work for the Phillies. They told me the policy up until now has been they don't retire numbers unless it is a Hall of Famer. Now, Chris said, I think they will refrain from using those numbers for at least you know the next couple of seasons, maybe longer. We shall see. So that's what Wheel said. And Brazier added this. He said, as of now, Howard and the other guys wouldn't be eligible until they made the Hall of Fame. But he added, obviously, we could change that requirement. Interesting. Uh, so for me, I'm going to stick with what the Phillies' policy is and say, no, the number's not getting retired unless you are a Hall of Famer. Well, that's interesting uh, because, with that being said, none of these guys would ever get their number retired, which, I mean, there's only five, so that's understandable. But uh, if this was indeed the greatest era of Phillies baseball, uh, it's hard to believe that not one would get their number retired. So let's go to the next one. Let's talk Jimmy Rollins, the Phillies' all-time hits leader with 2,306. A 263 career average, 2007 MVP award, where he hit 296 with 38 doubles, 20 triples, 30 home runs, 94 RBIs. Three time All Star, four time Gold Glove winner, J. Roll, the straw that stirred the drink. Mr. Chesco. Yeah, J. Roll talked the talk and he walked the walk. He was terrific, especially in 2007 when he won the MVP award. You know what? When it's all said and done, he's the guy among the four or five that we're talking about here. Jimmy Rollins, that has the best shot of being a baseball Hall of Famer. We've discussed this in the past. Now, lots of people say he is borderline, and that's probably the case. But you know what? I think based on the numbers and the other guys who are already in there, like Ozzie Smith and Barry Larkin, that Jimmy does deserve a call from the Hall. I'm saying that. Now, if that happens, he absolutely, of course, gets his number retired by the Phils. But if it doesn't, again, I'm going to stick with policy and say probably not. Hmm. Well, I am going to say that I struggle with this because those last few years of not hustling and not being that guy that was in 2007, 2008, you know, and he started to do some funny things in 2009, that memory is stuck in my head. But yeah. I, can't have, I can't have Ryan Howard retired without Jimmy Rollins retired. So I am going to go with both of them. Wow. Yeah, for me, I'm going to stick with, you know, if they're not in the hall, they're not getting their number retired. But I think Jimmy's got a shot at the hall. It's certainly not automatic. He is borderline, but he does have a shot. And uh, I think in a few years, uh, the hall is going to possibly be giving him a call. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he'll ever be a Hall of Famer. So by the Phillies rules, okay. he would be out. But but I'm not, I'm not thinking that. All right, next up, Chase Utley, six-time All-Star. 282 career batting average, 233 home runs, 916 RBIs, four-time 100-plus RBIs in a season. Chase Utley, you are the man. Yeah, who didn't love watching Chase Utley play? I mean, he was the opposite of 
what you were just talking about with Rollins, a guy who you know occasionally dogged it. Utley gave 100% plus every single time he stepped on the field. And that's one of the things that made him such a fan favorite, just like, you know, when Dykstra played back in the early 90s. You know, people love to watch him hustle, knowing he's always given 100%. Um, Otley, certainly not a Hall of Famer, however, despite being a six-time All-Star. His number is just not there. He is the man, but he's not going to have his number retired, not just because of the rule. I just don't think the numbers are good enough to warrant retiring his number. I will agree. Uh, absolutely. Never won an MVP, never won a gold glove, um, never won a batting title. Had had a couple really good, solid years, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But he is certainly not uh, jersey number worthy in my mind. There you so go. that brings us to the last one in our numerical order, Cole Hamels, 114 wins, 90 losses, a 330 ERA, and 1,844 strikeouts. The Philly, three-time All-Star, eight consecutive seasons with over 190 innings pitched. And in 2012, his best year, probably 17-6 and six with a 305. What do you say, Chad? Solid numbers, a key to the 2008 title, obviously, but he will not have his number retired by the Phils. I think it's pretty safe to say that that would not happen either unless he were to continue to roll out wins with Texas and maybe ends up with 200 or 250 wins. I think 200 is probably the new benchmark, and then he could become a Hall of Famer. And one of our Facebook friends, I forget who, said, wouldn't it be nice if he ended his career back in Philly's pinstripes? That would be kind of cool. That would be cool. All right, hey, one more thing before we get off the numbers. Number 14, Pete Rose, will be the next inductee on the Phillies' Wall of Fame, which I know makes you happy, Mr. Chesko, but here's a question for you. Pete played for the Phillies for just under five years, fairly short to be inducted onto the Wall of Fame. Where does that put a couple other somewhat short-term guys like that Brad Lidge and that Roy Halladay? Well, first of all, Bill, speaking of short-term guys, Jim Tomey is on the Wall of Fame. He played exactly two full seasons with the Phils, 2003 and four. He was injured more than half of his third season, which was 05. That's when Ryan Howard essentially took over the job. And then, of course, Tomey came back in 2012, but he only played 30 games. So, yeah, parts of four seasons, but really two full seasons. So Tomey's on the wall, and those teams never even made the postseason. So there. Now, Halliday and Lidge with three and a half and four seasons, respectively, as Phils, they will certainly get strong consideration for the Phillies' Wall of Fame. Well, good catch on, Tommy. I didn't actually uh, realize that. It slipped my mind. And uh, I'm going to say that uh, Brad Lidge will certainly get there. He has to get there just for what he did in the one year. Halliday probably, uh, you know, he had two good years and two not-so-good years or uh, injured years. But he created some history while he was here. I would say that he, he will be there. But it gets interesting as you get the Cliff Lees and these other guys um, all from that era, you know, the the Shane Victorinos and them kind of guys. It will be interesting to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to get crowded in uh, the years ahead with all of the, the guys from, you know, 06 to 11. Hey, one other thing, Bill, speaking of numbers, this reminds me. Uh, let's see if you know this one. This is a tough one, but it, it did stump me. 
When I was in Clearwater three weeks ago and I had breakfast at Lenny's, they apparently put up a daily trivia question. And the question the day I was in there, speaking of retired numbers, was who wore number 20 on the Phillies immediately before Mike Schmidt? In other words, who wore number 20 in 1971 and 72? Do you know the answer? How about that, Mike Anderson? You are in the right era, but not the right player. Do you want a second guess? Oh, I'll take one more guess, and I'll say that Roger Freed. That is correct. Yes, apparently Schmidt wore number 22 when he first came up. I did not know that. Mike Schmidt wore number 22 when he first came up in late 72 before switching to number 20. Freed played in 71 and 72, wearing number 20. And by the way, Roger Freed died at the age of 49 in 1996 due to heart issues. Well, how about that? I did know about the number 22, and uh, I was just maybe a little early on Mike Anderson to get to Roger Freed. But how about that, Chet? Yeah, you you got it on the second guess. Very nice. Uh, Hey, uh, Chet, I know we have a lot of listeners that are local golfers, and uh, we've got a chance to golf and help a great cause. And if you remember, we called out that Bob Sullivan on this, and uh, we never heard back from him. <laughs> That's right, Bill. Hit the links on Sunday, May 28th, to help traumatic brain injury survivors at McGee Rehabilitation Hospital. The Golf 4 Jackie Tournament is located at Range End Golf Club. That's in Dillsburg, PA, not too far from Harrisburg. Jackie is a TBI survivor successfully rehabbed at McGee. For registration, sponsorship, or silent auction information, contact McGee Rehab at 215-587-3145 or giving at org. Very good. Wonder if we'll hear from Bob Sullivan now since he's been called out for a second time. <laughs> uh, okay, Chad, it's week eight of Random QT time. Again, explain quickly uh, what this is all about, how it works, and I'm on the hot seat. Random Q2 time. We are winding down, yes, on this silly little 10-show experiment I slapped together. It's uh, something in which I ask you, Bill, two simple questions. We keep it to two minutes, the whole thing. The first question, always about a timely sports topic, while the second question, something totally random, but it's already written down. You're just picking from a, a batch that I have written down. So here we go. Your sports question this week, Bill. With the Flyers not taking part in the playoffs, how much NHL postseason action will you be watching on TV this spring? I will be watching zero. Zero. <laughs> I, uh, I won't I go that far. I will, I will well, check out. I will check out some games and uh, probably watch a chunk of the finals for sure. But, uh, yeah, without the Flyers, it's a whole different world, and I don't really care a whole lot about it. You know, it's, it's funny, and I've said this to people before, and they, they tell me I'm not really a fan because I feel this way, I can put on a baseball game and watch anybody play. I can watch the football, college football, pro football, watch anybody play. When it comes to hockey, there's the Flyers and there's nobody else. Yeah. I Provincial. Guess, uh, Even though the you know, Stanley Cup playoffs are Stanley Cup playoffs are pretty darn exciting. So, uh, you know, maybe you'll reconsider. Well, they are. Anyway. They are. I just, yeah. hope, I just hope they all get busted up when it comes to the playoffs. <laughs> and I don't really care who wins. I hear you. Now, for your second question this week, Bill, pick a number from the remaining batch of leftover numbers. Number four, six, or nine? Uh, Let's go with Johnny Callison, number six. 
Johnny Callis at number six. Other than warmer weather, Bill, how is life in Florida different from life in Collingdale, Pennsylvania? Um, well, warmer weather and having uh, basically a single season, you're outside all the time. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't, in, in the north, you kind of get tucked away in them winter months, don't see people and, and don't get out to do too much. We pretty much get to go out all the time down here. Uh, we don't use many jackets and things like that. And uh, it's year-round outside sports. You know, uh, soccer is basically a winter sport. Not that I'm a big soccer fan, but from a high school standpoint, they play soccer through the winter months. Uh, while basketball is inside, soccer is outside. So there's always something going on outside. You can always be out there. Uh, the other thing is, I don't blow snow. I cut grass 12 months a year. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, interesting, but uh, that's probably one of the detriments, though, because you got to you know, take care of the lawn for 12 months instead of four months or whatever. Right. You just don't have to cut it every week. You can cut it back to every three or four weeks in the, uh, in the winter months. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's it. That's our Q2 for this week. All right. Hey, Chet, did you happen to see the latest facelift we gave PhillyPressBoxRadio.com late last night? We have now gone Phillies. I did, and it looks great. I love the red and blue around the logo and the banner as well. Always nice to put a fresh coat of paint on things once in a while. Well, new season, new beginning. Uh, hopefully the Fightings do something with that bullpen, and uh, we, we have something to be able to say high hopes about. Yeah, against the Mets it hasn't been uh, – too hopeful, that's for sure. So uh, hopefully they'll turn things around and uh, get it going. We shall see. Well, and and with that said, we certainly want to thank everyone that continues to visit the website where the numbers keep on cranking up. We keep trying to keep it updated. And we want to certainly thank our sponsor, the Irish Rover Station House, Luda Road, Taylor, and Heather, Carl's Cards and Collectibles, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. So just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. Check out our new facelift. Let us know what you think about it. Click on each of our sponsors' displays to transfer to their, their websites to check them out. Yeah, we truly appreciate the support. We like the website, and we hope that all of our uh, visitors like it as well. Well, Chad, as you mentioned earlier, uh, we're going, or as I mentioned earlier, we've got three straight weeks of Eagles and NFL draft coverage. But as we said, we started out with Ray Dittinger. Uh, who do we have lined up to talk draft next week? Yeah, one week down, two to go before the draft. We're going to continue next week with our draft preview, focusing on the Eagles' needs and prospective selections. But in this case, also going beyond that with our next guest, because this is a guy who really does his homework. We look forward to having him on every year at this time. He's going to talk about all the likely first-round picks. He's the video content manager for the Eagles. He's a guy who spends even more hours watching football film than I do watching bad TV shows, and that's a lot of hours, let me tell you. <laughs> Fran Duffy. Fran Duffy joins us next Wednesday. I can't wait to have Fran back. He is always great, as you said, always insightful in the uh, we certainly need to follow up with him on that Carson Wentz because he had Carson Wentz nailed last year, and the Eagles yeah. ended up with him. And, uh, you know, I know Fran, and Fran's not going to gloat, but, man, he was dead on. <laughs> yeah, Fran knows his stuff. He does. Well, hey, let's get to our signing update of Carl's Cards and Collectibles. The newest Phillies, Brock Statue, will be there at the store. And just added today, Chet, Andrew Knapp 
will be in the store with Brock Stassi. So they'll both be there at the same time on the same day, and that will be in April. Check out all the details at our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on the Carl's Cards and Collectibles banner at the top to go directly to Carl's website for all the details or stop by Carl's Cards and Collectibles at 22 West Eagle Road in Havertown, PA, or give Carl a call at 610-789-4996. You can also contact Carl on Twitter at Carl's Cards. Mr. Chesco, parting shot for you, sir. Oh, yeah. Bill, I'm not criticizing what went down Tuesday night in Dallas just because it involved Tony Romo. No, the criticism is because the whole thing was ridiculous. In case you missed it, the Dallas Mavericks, yeah, the basketball team, allowed the newly retired Cowboys quarterback to suit up for the Mavs' home finale wearing his familiar number nine, take part in layup drills, and shoot a few jumpers with the team before the game, and then sit on the bench with the Mavs for the entire game, even posed for a team photograph with them. The crowd, meanwhile, was chanting for him to get put into the game. All of that for a quarterback who won exactly two playoff games in 14 seasons with the Cowboys. Now, the truly crazy part of it, Mavs owner Mark Cuban, who I generally like, actually wanted to sign Romo to a one-day contract and have him play a bit in the game, something NBA Commissioner Adam Silver wisely shot down. Although, hey, let's face it, had Romo gotten into the game, he probably would have somehow gotten hurt. (laughs) Well, you know, Chet, there's a thing that I, I guess you learn when you're young, and it's called blind love. Is there is there <laughs> any more blind love than that from the Dallas faithful? No. I mean, you know, it's nice that they wanted to honor him in some way. They could have brought him out and, you know, introduced him, let him say something, thanking Dallas for all their support. But, you know, letting him dress with the team and warm up, that was just kind of crazy. And, by the way, parting shot number two, Happy 70th birthday to David Letterman, and good luck in your next career as a mall Santa Claus. <laughs> have right, you seen Mr. David lately? Chester, have, have you not. seen David with the beard? In there? Oh, my goodness gracious. He's got a long gray beard. It looks uh, kind of strange. I didn't see him before he had gray hair. I'm certainly not going to see him now. <laughs> All right. All right, well, we are at the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guest, Ray Dittinger, Carl's Cards and Collectibles, Irish Rover Station House, Lula Road, Taylor and Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continuing support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April 19th, when our draft expert, Fran Duffy, joins us. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on both iTunes, Stitcher, and now TuneIn. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.